Good morning. Good to see you guys. We're missing quite a few this morning, but we got some people we haven't seen in a while too, so that's great. It's good. I, I have a couple of questions this morning for you guys uh, to start us off. Has anyone in this room ever heard of Matthew Blake or Marcus Schroeder? Okay. Well, this morning, while the kids look for the bingo pictures, I'm going to tell you guys the tale of two M's, okay? These are two men who are committed to very, very different causes. And before I do that, I want to ask you a second question. Does anyone know what unlikely tune? Now, I know that there was this other song that everybody's probably heard of that uh, the guy from Virginia, I think, put out there. And it made it to the top of all the charts overnight, basically. But, but there's a, a very unlikely, another unlikely song uh, that hit number one on iTunes Christian charts last week. Anybody know what song it is? It was the song Bible Belt Baby by an artist named Flamey Grant. No, you did not hear that wrong. Flamey Grant is the pseudonym of a former worship leader named Matthew Blake who turned drag queen. I'm not making this up. Uh, there's nothing God-honoring at all in the lyrics to the song, as you can imagine. Uh, I have not listened to it, but I did look up the words. Um, it is not a Christian song by any stretch, and yet somehow it is number one in the Christian charts of the iTunes. Um, we can speculate as to why that is. I think probably a lot of help came from the LGBTQ uh, community because they wanted to make the song a hit. Um, but the fact is, it's sick and it's sad that an openly homosexual man dressed as a woman has the number one song on these so-called Christian charts. On the other hand, Marcus Schroeder came into the public eye about a month ago. He was a young fellow. He's 19. 19-year-old student pastor who was assembled with a few other believers in Waterloo, uh, Wisconsin, and it was down the street from a, in the public park, a public drag show event. Marcus was peacefully sharing the gospel, and he was reading scripture through a microphone, through, through a speaker. It's completely within his First Amendment rights, okay? And he was arrested without warning. Now, here's a summary from Worldview Weekend. One of the most troubling aspects, they said, of the incident was the apparent discriminatory treatment of the protesters by the police. Witnesses reported that while LGBTQ individuals engaged in disruptive behavior such as stealing signs and harassing protesters expressing their constitutional rights, no arrests or citations were issued to them. By the way, it's not mentioned here, but there was also a group of neo-Nazis that showed up and yelled inappropriate stuff for about 20 minutes and then left, okay? In addition, police, oh, and the, they didn't get any citations either or arrests. In addition, police stood by watching as witness report that children had been given dollar bills to give to the drag queen dancers. Numerous people report that the actions of the drag queens was sexual in nature and crude and very likely in violation of state laws. In contrast, Marcus and the others were arrested for peaceful protest and reading from the Bible. Now, why am I sharing these two incidents? These are two sides of a coin, my friends. 
Marcus Schroeder, serving as a representative of the Lord, is committed to sharing decency and morality in Christ. And Matthew Blake, who was at one point serving, at least uh, professingly, as a representative of Christ, is now serving as a representative of the devil. And he is committed to spreading indecency and perversion and corruption. And while, while these two men would probably be seen as, as just more visible or even fringe elements on their respective sides, maybe they're not as fringe as we might think. Maybe they're serving as figureheads for some people of a much deeper situation. Because after all, there's a reason. There's a reason the Matthew Blake song is number one on the iTunes Christian charts. And there's a reason that the video of Schroeder's arrest has garnered almost 100 million views. People are starting to, to realize that the time to sit on the fence has come to an end. Now, this might be a, a cause of anxiety for some, but I, I, think, I think it has the potential, friends, to be a very, very good thing because it appears that the body of Christ has gotten out of shape. You know, meaning far too many professing church members have been so compromised by the world, even to the point of apostasy. Now, that's, that's, even, that, that's really not the issue that I felt led to hammer on today, because I, I, doubt, I doubt that many, if any, people in this room believe that Christians ought to support gross immorality. But at the same time, how many of us are actively standing against it? You know, the, the false church may be riding the, the progressive wave to perdition, but, but what is the true church doing about it? Not much. I mean, not much, friends. And, and, and our, our inaction, this, this unwillingness to leave our spot on society's fence has made us ineffective as salt and light. fact is, I think we American Christians have two things working against our witness, and that is an addiction to comfort and an aversion to suffering. And as a result, many of us have become spiritually chicken-hearted. We don't want to choose one side to stand on. We, want, we don't want to climb off the fence and publicly profess Christ for fear that we'll be mocked or maligned or viewed as being on the wrong side of history. You guys have heard that one, right? We are not as committed to the truth of Christ as we ought to be, and as a result, we have not been championing what is good and right, and we have not been effectively condemning what is wrong and false, what is wicked. We need people belong to Jesus to be unafraid, to be committed to what God calls us to do. And so today we're going to look at something, something of a biblical blueprint for commitment. Now, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. You might be thinking, this passage again? Yep. <laughs> we're going there again. No matter how many times you go mining in this one, you're going to come up with some gold, okay? So we're going to read through it because... We're going to actually, not the whole chapter, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. There are some, some concepts in it that are going to be very important later. Okay, so just go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, brothers, I call on you through the compassions of God 
to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order to prove by you what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. For through the grace which is given to me, I say to everyone being among you, not to have high thoughts beyond what is right to think, but set your mind to be right-minded even as God divided a measure of faith to each. For even as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we are, so that we the many are one body in Christ, and each members of one another. But having different gifts according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy according to the proportion of the faith, or ministry in the ministry, or the one teaching in the teaching, or the one exhorting in the encouragement, the one sharing in simplicity, the one taking the lead with diligence, the one showing mercy, cheerfulness. See, this, this is the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. God, I, I just ask in Jesus' name, there's, I know that there is um, some stuff here that, it, for people who are on the fence, it's going to be offensive. And Lord, I pray that you will help people to, who are in your camp, Lord, who, who have regenerate souls because of the Holy Spirit of God living in them and because of your grace through faith. I pray, God, that they will come down on the right side of the fence. I pray that the, the word spoken takes root and bears fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now there, there's a lot in that passage that we just read that has to do with commitment, but before we jump into the deep end, I want us to consider who this passage was written to, okay? We're the recipients of this letter. I want to hear you respond, okay? Were the recipients of this letter primarily believers or unbelievers? They were believers, right. So Paul wasn't writing this passage trying to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah. He was writing to those who had already believed, right? They already understood that Jesus was the Messiah, and he wrote it to encourage them to follow Jesus. So Paul is urging them to make a deeper commitment, and through his writing to them, he is urging us to do the same thing. God is urging us to do the same. And I want to warn you, okay, that most of the blueprint here really is in verse 1 and kind of verse 2, but, but the rest of this, this is important. It gives us context and to show us what comes next, okay? But the first step... Okay? The first step for, in commitment for a Christian is to determine what is right or, or what is the right thing to do. In other words, to figure out what God's will is in a specific situation as well as just in general for all of life as a Christian. Now, Paul alludes to this discernment in verse 2 because he says that, that the transforming of our minds results in a, in a proving of God's will. And the NIV does a good job here, I think, of clearing up a difficult sentence in the Greek. Upon the metamorphosis of the believer's mind. That's such a cool word, metamorphosis. You know, that's, that's almost literally what it says in Greek. And it means uh, a, a change of form. The metamorphosis of a believer's mind, which is a consistent process. He says, you will be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is. So, so part of growing as a Christian is gaining a, a deeper understanding and a greater appreciation of God's will. Now, now God's will, of course, it, it's always going to be the right thing to do, okay? 
One of the best ways to know God's will, though, is to, listen, to spend time intentionally in his word and in his presence. Now, the irony here is, is you can also know as a Christian that God wants you to spend time in his word and in his presence. That in itself is definitely the right thing to do. So that leads to step two. Because, see, every Christian ought to know that. <laughs> every Christian should know spending time in the word and in prayer is something God desires for you. Okay? So this is where we get to step two. Once you've determined what is right, what is God's will, decide to do it. Decide to do God's will. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about Romans 12.1 is that Paul, he explains why we ought to be fully committed to Christ. He says, because it's your reasonable act of worship. It's the thing that just makes sense based on everything that God has, has done for us. Our, our logical service is what the Greek says. Our logical service to God as a response to what? As a response to what? Our, our motivation is a, re, is a response, according to Paul, to God's mercies. We talked about that last week, didn't we? About the mercies of God. But God's mercy is the catalyst that moves us to do his will. When we consider that, that he, he loved so hard that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so, so, so that we don't have to be his enemies, we don't have to go to eternal hell, that probably ought to be enough reason right there. Of course, we have the temerity to ask, what have you done for me lately? Even if that's all he'd ever done, wouldn't that be enough for us to, to go, he is so loving and so good and so kind and so wise, he deserves my trust, he deserves my obedience. We, we ought to see that, but then add in the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead and he promises to raise us up to eternal life, too. It's not just that we don't have to go to hell. We get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Isn't that more incentive to want to be obedient? Thank you. The answer is yes. You know, most of us, most of us, I think, at some point, in our faith walk, we've had that, that Joshua 24, 15 moment, you know, where we say, as for me and my house, you know, we will serve the Lord. I think most of us have gotten there, and yet there are so many Christians, and I'm guilty of this, so many Christians who, who will often make statements like, I know, I really should, blah, 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 you know, but then there, there's really no effort made to blah, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Like we know what we should be doing. But doesn't James 4 say that if a person knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it to him, it is what? Sin. Brothers and sisters, shouldn't we be doing what we know we should be doing? I'm not trying to beat you all over the head with this because, I, I mean, I'm convicted too by this. This, this convicts me. We'll, we'll never be, listen, we will never be committed to something if we don't decide to stick with it. Right? I mean, by the way, if, if you're a believer but you haven't already 
set aside time to connect with God outside of church service, maybe that should be the first commitment that you make. Like before you walk out of this room even, you know, I'm, I'm serious about this. Our next step, once we've decided to do what we've determined is the Lord's will, is to make it go from the abstract to the concrete, okay? Instead of just saying, uh, I, I'm going to start reading the Bible more, for instance. We need to be specific. Church, let's define the goals. Maybe, maybe say, I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier every work day and use that extra time to read the Bible before work. That's a real simple, specific goal. Now, now, why is this important? I'm not talking about why, we should all know why reading the Bible is important. You know, it connects us to God. But why is it important for us to, to set aside that time intentionally? Because it's probably essential in order for us to actually follow through. Okay? It, it, in order for, for, for you, for me, to really do it, I mean, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? I mean, we, we experience these things all the time. So in order, in order to stick with whatever it is that you're committing to, you've got to set parameters that are going to be measurable, okay? I'm going to ask you to forgive me for the subpoint here because this, this, this part really isn't in our text for today, this part that I'm about to say here, but because Romans 12, 1 through 8, it is written in a letter to a specific group of Christians, and it's, it doesn't get into specific goals on an individual level, but as a person with major organization issues. Can I get an amen, Shannon? Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you, this is super important when it comes to knowing if you're following through with your commitment. Okay, there, there's this business acronym. I know a ton of you know this. It's, you've heard this before. SMART goals, right? It stands for specific, measurable, achievable, um, relevant, and timely. And I am here to testify, if you're going to set your terms for commitment, that's probably the only way you're going to follow through. If you don't set some specific terms, you probably won't. You know, there's a reason. I, have to, I had to give myself goals to get the sermon stuff, this PowerPoint and the bulletin insert and all that, to Norma by, by noon on Thursday. Because if I don't set a date and a time, it's not going to happen until <laughs> Saturday afternoon. And she's going to be going crazy, right? Craig's over here nodding, Yes. <laughs> And that spreads, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, there, there's a reason wedding ceremonies don't just have, do you take her? I do. Do you take her? Him? I do. Um, boy, I messed that one up, didn't I? Do you take her and him? Yes. That's how mine happens. Wow. <laughs> and you're still together. Yes. Praise the Lord. It's because you made a commitment. <laughs> But there's a reason, though. There's a reason that we have a little more than that. We have vows that say for better or worse, right, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, because we need the reminder that there are specific things that we're all going to struggle with in our marriages, right? And by the way, here's, here's where Romans 12 comes roaring back in, okay? We need the specifics because we need to be accountable for the decisions that we've made, the things that we've committed to, both for ourselves and to one another. We have to be accountable. I learned I learned something, y'all, this is brand spanking new to me, okay? I learned it this week, all right? I was studying for this message, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Uh, my dad said, ah, it's a Hebrew idiom. And I'm like, no, no, I feel like there's more to it than this. So bear with me. When Paul tells the Roman Christians to offer your bodies, 
He's using the second person plural. Bear with me. Bear with me. Second person plural. Okay? In other words, all y'all offer your bodies individually. Okay? But the word sacrifice is in the singular tense in Greek. Okay? So it's possible that instead of meaning, Chris, you offer your body as a living sacrifice. And Mary, you offer your body as a living sacrifice. And instead, maybe what he's saying here, what if, what if he's saying all of us, each of us, is part of the living sacrifice that's offered to God? It's all one big sacrifice. We are interconnected. We are in community, church. There's an accountability that I, I sense is present here. And, and it really jumped out at me, not just because it's a weird language thing, but, but because it reinforces the fact that commitment to the Christian walk is not strictly an individual thing. You know, whenever somebody says, oh, my, my relationship with God is between me and God. Okay, yeah, and everybody else who is a Christian, that's within your sphere of, of influence. We are supposed to be brothers and sisters. There are some folks who won't let you into their, their, their sphere, and that, that's their problem. We're supposed to be in community. That's part of the reason that meeting on Sunday morning is so incredibly valuable. It's about community and it's about accountability. We are all a part of that living sacrifice. We share a connection and a bond with every other believer that we interface with. You know, you guys help me offer myself. I help you to offer yourself. Before we get to the next point, I want to mention that, that, that much of the time, I don't think we get any further than step, sometimes step one, but step two, because we know, here's the thing, we know if we get to step three, we know that sharing our commitment with someone else makes it real, right? Makes it a whole lot harder, you know, to, to renege, right? We're afraid uh, to make commitments, and we're afraid because of Old Testament passages like Numbers 30, you know, it says if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do all that proceeds out of his mouth, right? So, so you're afraid maybe to put your hand to the plow because you're not sure you're not going to turn back. Okay, I, I want to talk about that then, okay? Now, to be fair, there, 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 there are, there's actually a sacrifice offered in the Old Testament for rash vows, okay? It's wise not to make rash commitments. That's another reason to have specific goals in mind, all right? But this, this is why we like to ask, for instance, our Sunday school teachers, we like to ask uh, to commit to a semester at a time, Right? Because we, you know, we, I know how it works, y'all. I know how it works in a small church. Some of you know what I'm talking about, you know. You, you think you're signing up to fill in, and instead you feel like you fell in, right? It, it has become, it is in perpetuity now. You are in a, a life sentence of serving in whatever you're, that, that's what people fear. And that happens a lot in small churches. You do something twice, and that's it. You're stuck. They hammer you into that, that, that square hole if you're a round peg, you know? And, and that's, that's not what we want to do. But here, listen, some commitments are not intended for life, all right? You need to understand that. The, there's some, some are, you know, the Christian walk is intended for life. Marriage is intended for life, okay? But 
Some things are only a commitment for a time, and we need to be able to see the difference between the two and not be afraid to commit to temporary things, you know, for the sake of helping someone else, for the sake of, of growing and, and being stretched as a Christian. Anyway, I spent a lot of time on that one, so we're going to move on. But step four, now this, this is where the rubber meets the road in step four, okay? When we dedicate resources to that commitment. It's one thing to say you're on board because, because talk is cheap, right? But when we commit to something, it's going to cost us something, isn't it? Every real commitment costs you something. Anyone know the three T's of giving? I know Craig does. He mentioned them last week. Three T's of giving? Time, talent, and treasure. That's right. They fit right in here. A commitment is typically going to cost your time or your talent or your treasure, or all of the above, or a combination thereof. You know? Now, treasure is easy to understand. That means our money, our wealth, our stuff, right? Talents are abilities that we have. Often those things are connected with spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Uh, he blesses us. But the second and third T's are really connected to the first one. I want you to think about this. Okay, you can't use your talents without taking up your time, can you? Can you? No, and you, 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 can't, you, you can't use money, as long as it's money you earned, without recognizing, I guess you could do it without recognizing, but you can't change the fact that you used your time to earn that money. And time, it's been said, is the only non-renewable resource, and it becomes much more valuable to you the closer you get to the end of your time here. But as important as these things are, as, as valuable as they are, the thing that Christ really wants you to commit most is you. He wants you to commit you, yourself. That's why we're told to offer our bodies to him. He wants his, his people, his bride, his church to be a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. So if we've been willingly giving our, our time and our talent and our treasure to God, then his, his tendency there is to bless us with a deeper love for him and a strengthening of our resolve. You know, it, it, it's whatever would be the opposite of vicious cycle, okay? This, this is a good cycle. The more we commit to him, the more capacity he provides for us to remain committed. It's pretty cool how that works. And at this point, things get real because you're beginning to take it seriously enough to deny yourself. Step five, what does that mean, deny yourself? It means, it means to put your own wants on hold in order to do what God wants you to do. Sometimes it means jettisoning altogether your wants. Think of Christ in, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Sorry, I heard somebody repeat the word jettisoning. <laughs> Trash, trashing it, okay? Throwing your wants in the garbage. Jesus says, not my will, but your will, even though that cost him his life. Friends, this is an area where many in the professing church are really slacking off. 
We are not denying ourselves. Now, to be fair, it, it may be that not many Christians are being taught to deny themselves. You know, many churches are out there teaching people that God's a genie, right? And he just exists to give you, you know, whatever it is that you want. You know, poof, what do you need? You know, it, it, that's, that's what people are, are expecting. And, that, and, and the best way, you know, to, to live, this is what other churches are teaching, the best way to live is to, to be true to yourself instead of true to God. And so we end up stupidly following our hearts down the path to slaughter. We must listen to what Christ himself taught. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This really is a non-negotiable thing for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. That's why he said, must. We can't just follow him on Sunday morning or when things are going well for us. You know, just then. We can't, we can't do it just when, 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 we, when we recognize our need for his help either. It shouldn't just be when we're desperate. Or maybe we should just recognize our desperation a lot more than we do. No, here's the thing. We're, we're supposed to take up our cross every day. We're supposed to die to ourselves daily and continue living for Jesus. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And, of course, to do that, we have to realize that step five requires step six. We have to recognize our total dependence on the Lord. We must depend on God. We have to trust him to, to give us what it is that we need to fulfill our commitments that we've made, whether, whether those commitments are, are permanent, whether they're temporary in nature. We have to depend on the Lord to give us that ability. You know, we, we have to depend on him just to keep us on the straight and narrow path. I mean, honestly, anyone who thinks they're doing it by themselves because of their sheer willpower is delusional. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit in us gives us the capability to walk in faith. But church, we are called to fully devote ourselves to the Lord in the knowledge that, that we will only be successful to the degree that we are because of his spirit at work in us. That really does kind of tie into what you were saying earlier. You know, it's a God thing. Happens a lot. See, it's, it's the strength that God lends us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1, he, sa he says, also I labor struggling according to the working of him who works in me in power. See, we can't, we can't even depend on our own will, our own capability. We can't depend on our own strength, but we can count on his. If we're doing what he's called us to do, he will give us the ability to carry it out. He will give us the power that is necessary to do his will. And, and there's there's a beautiful thing. A friend of mine told me this decades ago about our responsibility as Christians. I want you to remember this. In fact, I want you to write it down. Some of you have heard it before. Some of you haven't. Um, but, but please, maybe write this down so you don't forget that this is very freeing, okay? Our responsibility is our response to his ability. Our responsibility is our response to his ability. I think that's cool. 
know, Philippians 1 says that God, who is active in us, is active both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So, so we're the batteries, he's the juice, in other words, okay? Trust him. Keep in step with him as he works through you. Um, this naturally brings us to step seven. This, this is a huge part here of what verses three through eight are getting at. It's Paul explaining how Christians are all of great value, and all, we all bring different things to the table when it comes to how we serve the Lord by serving others. I want to just pause there for a second. I know I've got a slide coming up, but I want to share something with you. It has been said many, many times that our strength is in diversity. You hear that over and over like a mantra. Listen, I've, I've read this uh, a while back, and it has stuck with me. We're, our strength in diversity is only true if we're unified. There is no strength in diversity if people aren't unified. That is weakness. That causes, that, that, that's why sand falls apart. But if you mix sand in with a little lime, a little water, you get concrete. And whatever else goes in concrete, because I don't know. <laughs> concrete makes a good foundation. Sand does not. Our diversity is strength because we are unified in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, right? So we've all been given spiritual gifts, and we are called to develop them. We ought to be walking in these giftings, these, these spirit-granted capabilities that the Lord has blessed us with. I'm going to give you just a minute. I want you to go back in your Bibles. I'll go back and just start kind of in the middle of verse 6. I want you to, to read that again through verse 8. I'll wait a minute. Look at those seven things. The different gifts. Proclaiming God's truth. Service. Teaching. Encouraging. Generosity. Leadership. Mercy. These are spiritual gifts that various people in this room have been blessed with for the sake of blessing God and blessing other people. Now, I want to ask you this, folks. What do you suppose? This, I, want, I want to hear you say it out loud if, if, you, if you know the answer, okay? Just do that for me. What do you suppose is the first and safest place for a Christian to exercise his or her spiritual gifting? going to be within the local body of believers, friends. I mean, it, 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 especially one to whom you belong as part of the family of God within a Christian community. So my next question to you is, where can you serve? You know, one of the great things about a small church is in, you don't see quite as much disparity, I think, as you do in a large church between uh, I'm going to refer to this in a way, you're going to have to forgive me for this, but between producers and consumers in the church. Ideally, 
there should be no line of demarcation between producers and consumers in the church, okay? We, we're, we're all, we're all called to be both a producer and a consumer in the church, every one of us, okay? Givers and receivers, blessers and blessees. We're all called to this. But smaller churches, I think, do have a, a tendency to have a larger percentage of the congregation that's involved in serving other members of the congregation in some way, and that, that's great, okay? And, and, and friends, there are a lot of people within this body who serve within this body. Almost all of them are volunteers. There's only a couple of us who get a paycheck. If you're an elder, raise your hand. There's one, one back there also. <laughs> you know, these guys are all volunteers. Now, what's really funny is I have here, Cassandra, can you raise your hand? Well, she's not here. <laughs> she's in Paris. Um, but Cassandra's our volunteer ladies' ministry leader. What's really funny is right after that, I have Lucas, raise your hand. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> Lucas is the guy who has the snacks and the coffee ready for you almost every morning. I think Dave did it this morning because uh, Lucas is out, and that's why there's no creamer. So, <laughs> so he, you know, Norma, Norma's in a class all by herself, right? You know, um, y'all know this. The, 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 the Sunday school teachers, you know, the, the sound and the slide people and, and the worship team, the ministry leaders, they're all volunteers because they believe in using their gifting to serve the Lord by serving his people. That's what we're called to do. Most of them do wear more than one hat, too. Um, I'd like to tell all of y'all thank you. Thank you for, for the various things that you do, the ways that you bless this church. Thank you. They bring the donuts. Our, our gardener, yeah. Do you guys realize that when it's 108 degrees, you can come out here on Friday and you can find Mr. Jerry out there without complaining, just sitting out there, sometimes in the shade, recovering from the heat stroke that he almost had, but he's out there almost every week, mowing the grass, edging, weeding, doing a lot of stuff. Do y'all know that? Thank you, Jerry. There are so many people that serve faithfully in this church. I've, I've snuck up here before on a Saturday, and, and, and Debbie will sneak in, and she's setting up everybody's you know, books for Sunday. You guys have no idea. Some of you have an idea, but some of you have no idea what it takes. All these volunteers do stuff. This isn't just you come to church and there's a couple of, of paid staff members that, that kind of run the, the service. This is an incredibly gifted body of believers that are so, it's so complex, the way this organism works, and I'm so thankful, so thank you, thank you, oh yeah, he's, he's back there, he, he's not even paying attention, but yeah, he's, he's back there, no, he's paying attention, he's back there, he, he, he does this, <laughs> you know, Larry's been faithfully serving back there for a long time, and folks, there are folks, Naomi's not here, but she used to work in the nursery every Sunday. You know, there's, there's just, there's so many people here that have, have been such a blessing. But if you're here and you're like, you know what? I'm not really serving. I'm not here to beat you over the head. I'm just here to say, find out where God has a place for you. Be 
God's got a place for you here. He's got something for you to do to serve here. And if you're not serving here, I hope you're serving within your own context, wherever you are. But here's the thing. Um, let, me, let me back up and just, you know, I, I, I want to repeat. Thank you for loving God by loving his people, to all the volunteers. Um, I can also tell you, though, um, if you're in this room, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then he has put his spirit in you. And if he's put his spirit in you, his spirit has placed a gift, at least one, in you. And he wants you to use that for service. So you've had a gifting to do that too. Now, some of you may not want to commit because then you're afraid that people will have expectations of you, right? Well, guess what? God has expectations of you. All of us. God has expectations. He expects us to serve, and particularly to serve within the Christian community. I mean, if you look at Galatians 6.10, Paul says, do good to all men or all people, and particularly, especially those of the household of faith. So serving others, it should start here, but it shouldn't stop here. All right, we're called to love God, love others, serve the least, and reach the lost. And those things all go together. They all flow into each other. You know, sometimes we can do all of them at once when we're living according to God's call. Anyway, there, there's an asterisk in your bulletin insert. Uh, it's the bonus step, okay? After going through the committal process, then you deliver on your word because that is one way that we can be like God. You know, that is one of his communicable attributes is faithfulness. We can't do it perfectly because we're not God, but we can be faithful. God is faithful to do what he says, and we should be too. So when Christians begin committing to do what the Lord wants of us, and we need to be following through. And when we do that, the world is going to notice. They're going to notice when Christians don't have to have, you know, a full contract to, you know, signed to go through with what they say they're going to do. Handshake ought to do it. Your word should do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So Christ, Christ is going to be glorified in the world when we live in self-sacrificial lives for Jesus. They're going to see it. You know, it's, it's often been said. It's a cliche, but I love it because it's so true that uh, the problem with the living sacrifice is keeps trying to crawl off the altar. That's right. That's not who we're called to be. So take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. So, so here's the question then. What is your first step of commitment today? Or maybe your second step, since I hope some of you are going to decide to get up 15 minutes early to be in the Word, right? What step is God calling you to? For some of you, it's probably putting your trust in Christ. Maybe, maybe you're wondering if Jesus really is God's Son and the Lord of all, you know? Commit to doing whatever it takes to know. Maybe you believe that he is who he said he is, but you're on the fence about whether to, to really follow him because you know it's not going to be easy. Brother, sister, get off the fence. Get off the fence. Life is going to be tough. It's going to be tough for you whether you're in Christ or not. But when you're in Christ, he helps you bear the burden. He helps carry the load. Get off the fence. Choose to commit. Really commit. You know, that may mean starting with a public profession of faith and baptism. 
Or maybe you've done those things and, and you're, you're already walking with Jesus, but you've been sitting on the sidelines in this church body and wondering if you, you, you really want to commit to being a part of it. Listen, if, if you're here on a regular basis and you're a baptized believer, there is no reason to hold off on submitting to the Lord's desire for you to be a part of God's family here. There's no reason. Commit. One final thought. If you've, if you've been here long, then you've heard this before, but it's good to be reminded. According to Romans 12, 1 and 2, it is, listen, this is really profound. It is after we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that we are given the assurance that we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So if you're in a place where you're not sure what the Lord's will is for you, you just need to start obeying what you know is his will. If you want to know what the next step is, go with the steps you know you're supposed to be doing right now. And he will show you what's next. God is faithful in that. He'll reveal it as you go. Sometimes he's just waiting for you to get off the fence. Take the first step. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for everybody here. I, I pray that you convict us in some way of, of a place where we are lacking in our commitment and we need to step it up. I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone that, that feels uh, that led to make a commitment public, that you'll help them to do so, Father, during the, uh, the time of, of song that uh, Everett's about to lead us in. But God, I pray that if there's anybody here that's holding off and they don't really have a real reason, I pray that you'll reveal that to them. Help us to be committed to you like we're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got anything, you just look at that slide there. If there's anything going on there in your life, you know that the Lord is calling you to step forward, do it.